Welcome to Elaine's Kitchen Table. This is where we share tips about business and parenting. Being a mom of three, CEO of the award-winning company Easy Daisy's speaker and educator, you're going to learn the tips and secrets of successful and incredible people. Elaine wants you to be inspired, challenged, and motivated, and that person you want your kids to grow up to be. This is Real Talk for Real Life. So I just want to jump in and ask you about your story and you Yalda, you can start wherever you'd like to because i know it will challenge us and inspire us at the same time to talk about mental health so where did it start for you was it during pregnancy yeah so in retrospect i think it had actually started perinatal during pregnancy at the time, none of us were really aware of it because I think after I got better, we started to assess as, mm-hmm. as my family and I and think, you know, I was starting to exhibit symptoms of some depression and some low mood while I was pregnant. I mean, I, I very vividly remember people always asking me, oh, are you so excited? Oh my gosh, you might be so excited. And my answer was always like, yeah, but I'm actually quite nervous about like the whole thing and like having to give birth and all that. So. I didn't think of it at the time. I thought, well, I'm a first time mom. It's just okay to be nervous. But as I looked back at pictures, as I looked back at conversations, I started to realize I was starting to, I think, exhibit some symptoms while I was pregnant. But where the story really, really happened was after I had my son. So um, in 2013, I had my son and he was a C-section because he was breech. And I remember going into the surgery again, I was really scared and nervous And once he was born, my husband was in the room. He was so elated, tears, you know, of happiness, all that joy. And I remember just looking empty and I looked and I was kind of like, I don't feel anything. Mm. I I don't feel happy. I don't feel anything right now. Like even that fear had dissipated. It was a moment where I was just like, I feel completely frozen and not, I have no emotion whatsoever. And so they put my, my son on me and I kind of, pretended to smile for a photo because that's what you have to do is act mm-hmm. like you're super happy because you're yeah. a brand new mom and here's your bundle of joy. And meanwhile, I'm like, I feel nothing. Um, and I remember while they were wheeling me back um, to the room, to the recovery room, I asked the nurse, I said, is it okay not to feel any emotion? Like, why am I not feeling happiness? I mean, you always hear of moms are so excited when they have a new baby. And she said, no, don't worry about it. Not everyone feels that elated feeling of joy right off the bat. It sometimes takes a little bit of time for something yes. to develop. And so I kind of went with, okay, well, I mean, she's a nurse in postpartum perinatal. She probably knows. But inside, something still told me that doesn't feel right. Something still didn't feel right. And I talk about all of this in excessive, like in, in mm. thorough detail in my book and, and for the sake of uh, people listening, you know, I won't, I won't bore everyone with every nitty gritty detail, but I go into the full, full detail of everything, how it kind of transpired. Um, but yeah, from there, it just kind of when we went home and it was probably about the first month and a half where it was just a lot of sadness and crying. Mm. And I know people often talk about baby blues and baby blues, of course, is very common for a new mom to have, but baby blues dissipates and becomes less over time. Mm-hmm. For me, it was not lessening that, that hopelessness, that sadness, that disconnect. Like I, I could not connect the emotion to, to love to my son. Like I kept saying, it just doesn't feel like, like I know somewhere in my mind and my heart that I love him, but it's just not connecting. I can't feel that love. 
Um, and it was the first kind of month and a half where I was just down crying all the time. And I went for the six week, uh, checkup with the maternity clinic where the doctor first asked me about my mood and I kind of lied. And part of that honestly was because I was afraid. I was afraid of being labeled as someone who has something wrong with them or a Mm. mental illness label. Um, and I was afraid that they'd want to put me on medication and things like that. So all that fear, I was kind of like, no, no, I'm good. I'm just, you know, really tired, kind of down sometimes, but just really sleep deprived. And my sister, my middle sister, Ida, happened to be at that appointment with me. And um, she's a social worker. So she was kind of like, no, this something in here is not right. And I'm not letting you lie. So wow. she showed up and she told the doctor, she says she's completely lying. She is not well. She has been crying. Her mood is not right. Like she is not herself. Something's mm. not right with her. And so the yeah, doctor, she was there. Very, very, honestly, I talk about it in my book. She was like my guardian angel. She was there in that moment to to save me. And while at that moment, it kind of felt like, Why are you betraying me? You're my sister. You're not yes. supposed to do this to me. Yes. And obviously, a part of me knew you're no. She's not betraying. She's actually helping me because I was kind of relieved to have have that all out there. That okay, I, I am actually not well. Something's not going right. And so the doctor diagnosed me with postpartum uh, depression and said I need to take some medications. And again, my fear of getting a diagnosis or medication was kind of a bit off putting, but. She described it as it's kind of a hormonal imbalance, neurotransmitter imbalance, and that it's very common. And so you need to kind of take this to get better. So I took it. I listened. And, and I always throw that caveat out there, guys. I'm not I'm not a medical professional. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or any sort of doctor. Um, so I can't give medical advice to anyone on whether someone should or should not take medication, what their reaction to it should be. But I always advise people to be very open in in asking for help if they realize something just doesn't seem right. Don't do what I did because one of the things I really learned from my lesson was my negligence let me be sick for a lot longer than I needed to be. And Mm -hmm. that was just my own own negligence on my own fears from all the stigma and and criticism that's out there. We'll get more into that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, so I, you know, took the medication, went home, got the medication and all of that. And I took it. And unfortunately, in my case, I actually had an adverse reaction um, to the medication. So I started to get even worse depression, but then my anxiety picked up even more and I got really anxious and like the anxiety just went over the roof. And so within about two days, we decided, oh, I got to go back to the doctor. Something's not right with this. And so we went back. They said, yes, you seem like you've had an adverse reaction. They rechanged my meds. Long story short, it just took a few months for me to get the right type of medication. And that's one of the things with mental illness medication. Sometimes you just got to wait. It it works slowly. So you got to wait time in between to find out which one's the right one. But once you find the right one, it's helpful. And so in that kind of time span, I just trying to find the right things. My, my mind was just, you know, all over the place. And I had a lot of external pressures um, and criticisms as well. Uh, some being due to cultural pressure, some being due to personal individuals who had an opinion. And I talk about that. One of the chapters in my book is called The Unhelpful Opinions. And it's because sometimes people do and say things that they think are helpful, which are actually really counterproductive, which are actually really detrimental to someone. And so I talked about them not to call out specific individuals, which uh, anyone who reads the book knows, I don't mention any names or allude Mm -hmm. to who these individuals are, but it's to help people understand that you have to be a little more 
conscious of what you say to someone, because while you think you might be giving good advice, it might actually be really hurting the person. So take a moment to think about it. Can you give an example? Like, so I I think we all know someone who's going through something. What is something that's just not helpful to say? Sure. So one of the things that I uh, was told often was um, she developed depression and anxiety and she's sick like this because she's all into fashion and stuff. And because she can't dress up and having a baby will alter the shape of her, you know, breasts and things like that. And that's why she's so upset at the wow. world and she can't do all that. And she's a new mom and she doesn't like that. And I kept having to be like, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's I I'm not well, you know, these justifications in your mind, their justifications for why I'm not well are actually not justifications. They're just making me feel worse. And you're badgering me, right? Wow. They're just, there's, there's lots of them. There's a few, I only covered a few of them in the book. Otherwise it would be like <laughs> 300 so page sorry. book if I wanted to talk about all of them, but I just pointed out a few of them to kind of explain to people that no, while you and your mind might think this is the reason the person got sick, that's the reason they got sick. The person doesn't need your reasoning or your rationale. They need your support to get better. It doesn't matter why, right? I always tell people the why is not important, whether it's you telling yourself, why did I get sick? Or it's other people trying to give you justification for why you got sick. The why is irrelevant. It's the how. How can you or others support to get better? How can we support? Why did this happen? That should not be the focus. No, because it doesn't help. The just the, the answer, even whatever the rationale for it is, there's so many different reasons why someone can get a mental illness. Trying to come up with that solution only convolutes the situation and makes it harder and makes it, it, it brings in things like anger and emotions and resentment and, and judgment and, and yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so that needs to stop and people need to kind of just focus on how can, can a person get better, whether it's themselves or if it's others. Um, yeah. So, you know, going back to the story, I guess it just kind of kept progressively getting worse and worse for me. And it got to the point where my family in, uh, in the winter decided, and my son's like almost close to six months at this point, uh, in the winter decided, let's go to Mexico. Let's take a trip, get her away from here. Maybe a change of scenery will help. And so we went to Mexico I cried and, and was anxious and like not well the entire trip. But the part that was really the most profound part of that trip was my family had organized a massage for me. And so my son was with my mom, my husband and sisters were kind of in the water doing their own thing. And I was getting a massage and thinking that I could get relaxed. And as I was getting a massage, I suddenly had a thought pop out of my head out of nowhere that you need to kill your son. And I don't know why it came. I don't know how it happened, but in hindsight, I can see it building up because at this point, like I said, I had a disconnect to my son. I wasn't feeling that connection of what I would call love, right? Like I, I, I knew I loved them, but I couldn't feel it. I was starting to have moments of like depersonalizing from the world. So sometimes I would think, am I in a dream or is this really my reality? Is my son real? I used to ask questions like, is he real? Does he really exist? I used to pinch my own skin skin of others to kind of see like, is, is this all a dream or is this really happening? Mm-hmm. Like I was kind of starting to exhibit a lot of dissociation from reality. And so then this thought came in Mexico and I just, I remember being so petrified and so scared and I just ran screaming 
to my mom and I was just profusely crying. Like what happened? Why, why did I have this thought? I just had a thought I have to kill him. And, and my mom, you know, is calming me down. My sisters and husband mm-hmm. all came and they were all kind of like, it's okay. It's just the, it's just the depression talking. It's not you just like calm down. You haven't harmed him. He's safe. He's here. See, he's okay. And he's fine. Anyway, that whole trip became disastrous as a result of this thought because I just couldn't get over this thought. And then we got back to Calgary and a few days after it, um, that we were back. I was at my mom's house and I was changing my son on uh, the change pad on her carpet. And I got up to go throw the diaper away. And again, out of nowhere, this thought came that you you need to kill him. But this time the thought was kind of like, you need to crush a skull with your foot. And so I involuntarily, I have no idea how this happened. I raised my foot to do so. And it was within seconds when I just, kind of realized what I was doing. And I was like, Oh my God, what's happening? Like now it's no longer just the thought. Now I'm, I'm physically lifting my foot to crush this poor little baby on the floor. Why is this happening? And I just immediately screamed back from him and just yelled for my mom. And I said, you need to call my husband. And I said, you need to call him. He needs to, yeah, I have to go to the hospital. This isn't getting worse. This is not getting better. Like it just keeps getting worse and worse. I'm going to kill this kid if you don't stop me. And so it was the point at which I talk about in the book that selfishness had to be replaced with selflessness because I could no longer worry about the fear of what if I went to the hospital? What if they took him away from me? I'll never see him again. I'm an unfit mom. It didn't matter at that point, because at that point now, twice, I had a thought to harm this child. And the second time I came close to it. And so to me, in my mind, the rationale said, if you don't go to the hospital now, you could actually do something the third mm-hmm. time, and you don't mm-hmm. want to take that risk. Mm-hmm. And it's better that he's taken away from you forever, if that's the case, versus you be the mom that takes his life and he's never around. Wow. Maybe one day you'll be reunited with them. But if, if you harm him, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I went to the hospital and I, I vividly remember the nurse, uh, bless her. She gave me a hug and I, I was just crying. I said, it's, it's okay if you have to take him away from me and I never see him again, but I don't want to be the one that takes his life. And she just hugged me and she said, I want to thank you for coming in because you have no idea how many women go through something like this. And they're too afraid of the very same thing you're talking about. And so they don't get help. She said, no one's going to take your child away from you, but you are very sick. So you do need, you need to get help right now. And so I checked myself in and I tell people not to scare them, but I, t- I discuss all of this in that it's the truth of the situation. I, I had to sign away my rights um, in the, in the regard that I had to sign away a, an agreement that says, even though I'm voluntarily going into the hospital, I can no longer voluntarily leave. Um, oh, wow. I have to be deemed basically sane enough or okay enough to be allowed out on my own. Yes. Allow safety for myself and for my child. Right. Because I was also very suicidal at this point too. Right. So, and to me that came second to wanting to harm my child. Like for for myself, it was kind of like second thought to I'm going to hurt him. And so I, I was fine. I did that. And I spent about three weeks in a psych ward. They redid my medications, they upped the doses, and I was just under constant supervision there. And 
within time, it eventually started to get a bit better and a bit better. And by around the third week, I was able to be discharged from the hospital. And, um, you know, I still had my family and stuff around me for a lot of it. I had a really hard time being alone and wanting to be left alone with my son. But it took time. And, and overall, it took about two and a half years for me to be wow. completely what I call back to myself to the point where I no longer needed any medication. I no longer had any symptoms of anxiety or depression or any of that. And after that, I made the decision to kind of do the, the work I do and a lot of the advocacy I do because I saw a lot of gaps, whether it was, you know, with education and awareness that's lacking for people, mm-hmm. gaps in where, where people in general don't even know how to deal with someone going through a mental illness. That's why I have a whole chapter in there on how to help yourself and on how support people can help you because sometimes support people feel so helpless and they're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what things to do to help. I don't or know what, what to say yeah. or what not to say. And I cover all that in the book. And, you know, I always tell people, although my book talks about my story, that's postpartum. I've had sessions I've done at organizations where men, like I've had groups of tons of men listen to my, to my presentations and say, your presentation is the reason I changed my perspective on mental health. Your presentation is the reason that I feel like I can reach out to someone and, and ask for help and whatnot. And it's because the book, my story is postpartum, but the benefits of the book, the majority of the chapters are actually to help with anxiety, depression, you know, any sort of mental illness in general It's to give strategies and tips for men or women going through it. Because like, even you alluded to men can get postpartum depression as well, right? Or any kind of depression, anxiety. And it's just from the perspective of someone who actually went through it, lived it, overcame it. And I talk about the things that I learned along the way and the pitfalls that I had along the way and the mistakes that I made and how those were detrimental to me and why maybe through my story, somebody else can have just an easier journey. I can't promise to take away the experience from anyone. You know, I don't have a magic wand, (laughs) but maybe... This awful experience can help educate others so the experience doesn't have to be two and a half years the way mine was, or at least as difficult for someone. Your story is is incredible. You are so strong, even in your points where you probably felt the weakest, you are so strong. And, you know, for for you to recognize and call for help. And every single time, like even even when you were being wheeled out of having just uh, delivered a baby C-section, you asked right away to that nurse, like, I don't feel anything. It's like, I'm not elated. Is this normal? And, you know, I, I hope and pray that a lot of people have your strength, Yelta. And, and I ask you when someone's listening right now, whether they are someone who's going through mental health issues or have a child who's going through it uh, or someone what do they do? Like, how do they ask for help? Where do they go for help? So the first thing I would say is admit to yourself that you're not well, because like I said, for me, I, I really, really did a disservice to myself by not being open up front right off the bat and saying, I'm not well, I need help. Like forget waiting as long as I did to seek the right type of help, right? So first admit it to yourself that you're not well and you need help because there's nothing wrong with admitting that. People often say it's a sign of weakness. It's not. Asking for help is a sign of strength and resiliency and courage. And, you know, having that self-awareness within yourself that something just doesn't feel right. And, you know, especially if even others around you are dismissive. I come from a culture 
where talking about mental illness and saying you have a mental illness is most certainly not okay to do, right? We've been conditioned. I mean, my generation's a bit different now, right? But former generations, oh my goodness, no one will marry you. No one will want to be your friend. No one will want to hang out with you. You'll never get a job. Like all these pressures are put on a person and we don't need that cultural pressure. We need people to know that they're safe and it's okay to say, I'm not well. I just need a little bit of support to get better. No, I, I I agree with you. That is the first step, right? You have to acknowledge it and admit it right away. I need help. And you, you might not be able to pinpoint it, what it is, but just to say, I need help. That is very, very important and shows so much strength in, in just saying those words, I need help. Absolutely. And and remembering that there's no shame in that. It's It's a sign of courage. If people remember that it's a sign of strength and courage, that they'll feel more okay with wanting to ask for help and then seek help from there's so many sources, right? Okay, Whether it's that next, where would they go? Well, there, if there's friends that you trust, if there's family you trust, if there's medical professionals, you can go talk to a doctor, there's distress helplines, there's all sorts of mental health resources mm-hmm. out there right now. There are so many sources. And unfortunately, I think the problem is a lot of people right off the bat think, I have to tell my family. I have to get help from my family and friends. But if it is the family and friends that are actually dismissive, if it is family and friends that are putting that criticism and judgment and negativity your way while you're actually trying to get help and seek help, that's okay. You know, help doesn't have to come from those traditional sources. Help can be, support can be anybody. A lot of times it's the most unexpected people. I talk in my book about my, one of my best, best friends in the world who I'm, I consider a sister now. It was my neighbor across the street who was a complete stranger who one day found out I was sick and came to my rescue. Meanwhile, my some of my closest friends, my you know best friend of 15 years was nowhere to be found really. So it's just like, it just unexpected people come your way and they help you out and being open to that and just being open to the fact that support can come from any individual as long as you're feeling supported, you're feeling like they're going to help you towards progressing and getting better, that's fine. Um, it doesn't always have to be the traditional folks. And just take that step to ask for the help because it's out there. No, I love that. That it was just even even a neighbor that you can feel support from. And, you know, and I hear over and over, especially during these past years, during the pandemic and isolation and and mental health has always existed, but it is just coming more to the forefront and in discussions. And and, you know, it, it is very sad to hear that the numbers my husband and I were talking last night about how, you know, the, the numbers, unfortunately, of people passing away due to covid, but in in our province alone, there was a higher number of drug like deaths due to drug overdose and depression that was higher of course than than those who passed away from the terrible virus and in in conversations with people i know and one thing that is upsetting is when they find out that there's mental health issues it has been difficult for them to get an appointment with a counselor or a therapist and now they're on wait lists and 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 they're scrambling trying to find help and do you have any tips or advice on that, Yelta? Of what what do you do if you're on a wait list, like, and you just can't wait? You need help now. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, I'm a huge proponent of getting professional medical help for for things like this, getting professional medical diagnoses in the first place. But there are 
things you can do that that's really that's why I wrote the book because I wanted to put tips out there for people to say here's some of the things I did to help myself Mm -hmm. some of them are tips that I got from my doctors some of them are things that I like the fashion part are things that my mom helped me learn Mm -hmm. and decide to do and so it's kind of a mix of medical things that doctors kind of taught me to do and then things that I kind of taught myself to do and that, you know, things like that. And I'm not saying it has to necessarily just be my book. It's not the only book out there on mental mental health, but sources like that can help you. And especially if it's from someone who's actually gone through it, right? Because what they're kind of trying to put out there is this is what the experience was like. I'm hoping if I share some info with you, it helps you along the way, maybe until you can get to the appointment with the right person to get some proper professional medical help as well. Um, if you know someone doesn't like reading a physical book, it's available in eBooks. There's other eBooks available online, and then just just the conversation. I think the mm-hmm. first start part starts with the conversation, even before if you want to read a book. It's um, finding that one or two support people that will help you through it, and just saying, "I need some help from you until I'm able to get to the right." person to help me with the medical component of it. Maybe I need some help from you, a friend who comes and helps you an hour a day while you nap and just get a little bit of rest. Maybe a friend that helps cook something for you. Maybe somebody picks up something uh, from the grocery store for you so that you have one less task and rigorous thing to do. You know, I think there's a lot of different things that people can do to kind of just help themselves and their own well-being, exercising, journaling right a journaling is a great way to kind of even keep track of your own progress so in yeah. it's no longer the biased opinion of someone else saying you're doing better you know you're you're doing okay it's your own right. words every day saying today i did this and then tomorrow you do that and the next day and when you look back you're like oh i'm seeing a gradual improvement in myself mm-hmm. or oh no i'm seeing a decline so then you kind of understand where the decline is happening in what circumstance and it's a lot easier for a doctor to help you um, with realizing where they need to pinpoint the specific um, support for you. So I think I think it's just looking to all the different resources available. Physical activity obviously is a great one. And now with you know spring coming up more, it's, it's a great time to just get out and keep busy. I think the biggest thing I tell people is keep busy and work in increments. Because when you're going through a mental illness, you kind of lose sense of who you are and who you used to be. And you have a very vivid recollection of who you used to be, all the things you could do, and all the things that now you cannot do, right? All the ways you cannot function as yourself. And that's so self-defeating if you kind of always tell yourself, well, I used to be able to do or perform like this or X, Y, and Z. And now I can't. And I feel so awful. Mm-hmm. Whereas kind of just built your tolerance back up. You know, you used to be able to sit down and write like, a three page essay, you know what, work on writing like three sentences, and and then slowly work your way up, you used to be able to exercise an hour a day, fine, work five minutes a day and work your way up. Because you build confidence, you build your abilities, you build your mind's ability to think that you're regaining control and step by step by step that allows you to regain more control of your thoughts and, and all of those emotions as well. I, I love that. I appreciate that all so much. And you know, and I, I'm thinking of a time when I was at a very low point in, in my own life. And, um, and you know, I was so frustrated with myself because I wasn't able to do things that I normally could have done uh, due to health issues. And I, like, it was just a dark, dark spot. And, you know, and, and some lessons I learned was if I could think of one thing to be gra- grateful for at this moment, 
maybe that could just distract me. And, and that worked for me. And slowly, because, you know, when you're down, like, nothing is great. But, you know, to be saying, okay, I am thankful for this, you know, my family. Or that I have kids that hug me or a great husband. <clears throat> and to think of one thing that to, to have that gratitude. And, and you know, it was it was hard to get to that point, but it helped me. And, you know, and I was listening to what you're saying about, you know, like, lesson what you're putting on yourself right if you wrote a paragraph and now you can write a sentence and you know and there was this talk that i was doing and i can't remember even what the talk was about but and it was probably something about covid and and working with kids at home and one of the the points that i i remember that i would share is is to lighten or lighten or lessen your your um oh gosh now i'm going for a blank right here it's, okay. it's, it's not it don't lessen your expectations but lighten them in that you know never lessen your expectations but light lighten them in that you know like what you were saying you know you're not going to work six hours but if you could do two hours or one really good hour then do it because that will be incredible and you will feel like you achieved and accomplished something right even if it's that two sentences instead of writing a paragraph if you're writing a book or whatever it is to just lighten it but don't lessen your expectations and you have really shared so many great tips and points and i want to respect your time because i know i could talk to you forever and i want to listen to you forever but i'm going to end on some quick uh, rapid fire questions if that's okay yelda First of all, I just want to say thank you with all my heart for sharing your your strength, your resiliency, your incredible story. Actually, before I do the rapid questions, I know that my listeners want to hear this, and I want you you had shared this when we were on a virtual stage together. You talked to your son. You have this book out. He is now at an age where he can read the book. How did you talk to him about what you went through? Yeah, so he's eight and a half now. Um, he's very capable of reading the book. He has not read the actual book because I told him that I think he should be a little bit older before he reads it. But the first, first printed copy of the book was actually for him. I signed it for him. I've kept it as a gift for him when he's a little bit older. But out of respect for him, I had to let him know, obviously, the realities of the situation before putting it out there. Absolutely. For the world, world to read it, right? Um, and, and so I kind of sat him down and I said, look, I want you to understand what mommy's book is about. And um, when, you know, when you were born, after you were born, mommy became sick, but it wasn't my body necessarily that became sick. It was my mind. And before I explain, I will say I actually recently posted a video on, on my LinkedIn and on my uh, Instagram on this. It's a little bit lengthier. It's about six minutes, but I do explain the full, full thing in detail. Um, but I explained to him that you know, mommy became sick, but it was my mind that became sick. And as a result of my mind not feeling well, mommy almost came close to hurting you. And mm -hmm. I asked him, I said, do you think mommy would ever want to hurt you? And he said, oh, gosh, no, absolutely not. Like, you know, mom, you, you love me the most in this world. I said, mm -hmm. exactly. So, you know, I would never want to bring any harm to you. But my mind became really sick and I, I kind of had no control of it. I said, you know, when you get catch a cold or a flu, do you want to catch a cold or flu? And he said, no, of course not. And I said, well, sometimes you do, right? 
for various reasons. You put dirty hands in your mouth, you know, lick a post at school, whatever it might be. It happens, right? And he's like, yeah. And I said, well, what do you do? You don't sit there and worry about the fact that you, you got the cold or flu. You sit there and think of all the things you can do to get better. So you take your vitamins, you take the food you need to, you rest, all of that, mm -hmm. and you get better. And I said, Mommy kind of had to do the same thing. You know, I, I my mind became sick and I had to get better. But you know what helped me get better is your love and your hugs and your mm. kisses and your smiles, because that gave me the strength and the motivation Beautiful. to keep going, to keep fighting until I got better, until my mind felt better. And so I want you to know that it is you that is a big part of why I'm better. And you helped save my life. You gave me all that love and affection and, and you allowed me to feel strong enough to get better. And so now my son to this day, like it, it was even a couple of days ago, he was talking about it and he said, mom, it's because you love me the most because I helped save your life. Right. And I said, absolutely. And it, it, he, he does not, he's never going to associate my mom had me and then she became sick. So I'm the reason she got sick. Right. He will always, for the rest of his life, see my mom got sick for all these other reasons that, you know, uh, biological or whatever it might be. And I'm the reason she got better. I helped her Love get that. better. And what a confidence boost amazing. that is going to be for wow. him in life. And how is that going to help him with accepting people with mental illness down the road? Because if he grows up and sees someone going through a mental illness, he's going to remember my mom went through something. And it is me who helped her get better. So that person should have someone to help them get better, not to make them feel guilty or ashamed for why they became sick. I love that. I love that. I could not leave this podcast or have you leave without sharing that incredible, incredible story. Thank you. He is your hero. My son, I always tell my son on a daily basis, I try to tell him that he's my hero. Like, And I love that. Obviously, you made me cry like at least twice. <laughs> Sorry. No. I, I still cry, right? Look how many times I, I talk about this topic for, for the sake of putting it out there and helping ease someone else's distress if I can by sharing it. But it still makes me emotional to this day, all these years later, and I, I still get emotional. But if we continue to have tough conversations like this, then it becomes easier for resources to be there to help people. So it's it's well worth the experience knowing that by doing what I do now, by talking to individuals, talking with individuals like yourself, you know, even the corporate work that I do, talking to organizations, just it's a very relatable experience to say, it's one thing to teach people about mental illness, the theoretical part, but it's another thing when I stand in front of a group of people or through virtual, I do the same thing. And I explain the story and I explain all the learnings from it and where people need to change perspectives. And people come back to me and say, it really resonated with me and made me realize what someone going through a mental illness is actually feel like. And it makes me want to change versus I'm just being told as a society that we need to change our mindsets. When you hear it from someone who's telling you, this is what I did. This is what I almost came close to doing. You know, these are all the things I couldn't do. I couldn't shower. I couldn't brush my teeth. It just wasn't there. Most mm -hmm. people don't want to talk about that publicly. Mm -hmm. But for me, I think it's a blessing. It's a gift that mm -hmm. I went through the experience so that I could maybe help other people learn about it in a different way. Yelda, you're amazing. And I thank you. Now, if people wanted to find you, even though these will be in our show notes, where would they go? Yeah. So if you go to my website, stylistheme.ca, 
Um, and it's stylist theme is spelled with only one E in the middle between the word style and esteem. They share the E together. Um, the, you can get a lot of information there. It has a link to all the places my book uh, is available, but you know, all, all the online places, chapters, Barnes and Noble, all the ebook sources, um, a lot of, a lot of different places, Amazon, they all have the book as well. And, uh, yeah, you can find me on social media, on Instagram at stylistheme and email. <laughs> it's, it's all on my website. You can find Perfect. me everywhere through my website. Perfect. Well, that will be in our show notes. So really quick rapid fire questions. You have not heard these questions. So just <laughs> of your head ready. Here we go. I only have five. Number one, what's your favorite book other than your own? Oh, oh gosh. Oh, I don't know. I can't think of any titles. Oh my God. Oh my God. You know what? A book called Smart But Scattered. Excellent. That sounds great. Uh, favorite item of clothing? Uh, tool skirt. Oh, very nice. Uh, next one. Your three steps to your morning routine. Uh, wake up wash my face, put on uh, all my creams and stuff and makeup and find something fun and fabulous and just like heartwarming to wear. I, I love, I love getting dressed. It's so funny. People usually dread it, but I'm like, Oh, what do I wear? Today? <laughs> well, you'll have, if you're listening, you'll have to check out uh, style Steam's social media. Uh, next question. Number four, your favorite breakfast, my favorite breakfast. Oh gosh. Uh, probably omelet. Yeah, like a veggie omelet. Nice. And last question, your favorite social media platform and why? Oh my goodness, my favorite social media platform. <sighs> there are so many. I can't I can't just pick one. I would say I would say there's an account called uh, The Good Quote and I like it because it puts a lot of motivational and inspirational uh, quotes on there. And sometimes, you know, you just get into your own head and you're having a day where maybe things aren't going your way. You're just like, oh, I just need to see or read something good, something inspirational. And, and they just have so many nice messages on there about believing in yourself and keep awesome. going. And just, I don't know. I, I like things like that. I like, I like just reminders that there's good out there in the world. There <laughs> is good out there in the world. And you are one of them. So thank you. Yelda, I want to say thank you very much for being here and sharing your incredible strength and story. And to our listeners, I want to say thank you so much. And I hope you are encouraged, inspired to keep sharing good and come alongside uh, friends, family that you feel, you know, just need an extra hand. And without judgment, without saying the wrong thing, sometimes just an action of kindness, right? Like show up, bring a meal or just deliver a latte, whatever it is to put a smile on someone else's face. And sometimes I think, you know, if you have someone come on the top of your mind, that's an excellent time to text them and say, hey, I was thinking of you, just checking in, how are you today? And I just wanna say, Yelda, thank you. And is there a final word of advice or a final strategy or tip you wanna share before we end? Um, yeah, so I guess the final word of advice I would say is, um, I mean, this applies to dads too, but I find a lot of times moms put this pressure on themselves. And it's that when you become a mom, that some, somehow your whole world and all your goals and ambitions and everything has to become about your child and your child only. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the case. I think I want to remind moms, dads, all of you to remember that 
just because you became a parent doesn't mean you cease to exist as a person yourself. You, you know, you got yourself all into adulthood and did all the things you need to do work so hard to get to where you are. And then becoming a parent doesn't mean all of that has to stop. It just means find the time for things for yourself, whether it's for your health and well-being, whether it's for your goals and whatever you're aspiring to do, but find time to do both because not only does that help you emotionally, helps your self-esteem, helps your well-being, but also I think helps not create a sense of resentment for you towards children down the road saying, I gave up all these things for you. And then your children look at you like, I never asked you to. <laughs> so I think, I think it would help to have that beautiful balance and remembering to forget yourself as a person too. I love that, right? Like you as a parent, father, mother, you have to go into the pit stop and get fixed up, refueled, put new tires on because then you're going to run better in this race of life and parenthood. I love it. Nelda, thank you. I adore you so much. Thank Thank you. Likewise, I'm so appreciative for the opportunity to connect with you again. Thank you. It means the world. And listeners, thank you and cannot wait to share with you again. And I just wish you a most fantastic, fabulous day. Bye for now.